Welcome to the Live Coaching with Ryan podcast, episode 16. In this last episode with Selena, we talk about the influence of movement and movement practices on our sense of well-being and our state of mind. We also discuss uh, any highlights, anything that stuck out for us uh, over the course of the full conversation. Please enjoy. So I, I know you have limited time, and I would love to talk for another 10 to 15 minutes about movement. Can, is that time that you have? Yeah, let's, um, this is real life. Let me just, yeah. I, have, I, have, um, I have an interview in a little bit. Okay, yeah. So she has some flexibility. So we can, yeah, we can do that, Ryan. It'd be great okay. to be able to complete this with you. Cool. Great. Good. Fantastic. As otherwise we'd have to do like a part two, which is fine. We can do <laughs> We're on a roll. And if we can, yeah, we have this momentum and this rapport we built up. So it's great. Yes. So in service to that, uh, you had mentioned this may be a great way to segue a great time to segue into, um, into movement. And, and I very much agree because again, now we're talking about the embodied experience um, of this and there are ways to get information from our bodies that reveal some of these processes we may not be conscious of. Um, But, but beyond that also, just as I mentioned earlier, our body affects our mind. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious to start kind of, do you have, again, some preferred movement practices and and even maybe even before that, maybe describe a little about your history with movement um, and then, and then maybe segue into Mm -hmm. preferred movement styles. I love that question of our history with movement. It's, it's not what I get to answer a lot or hear a lot. So thank you for framing that that way. It's You're really welcome. it's really inspiring. Some some neat thought for me. Um, my history with movement. I you know I've always been a pretty active, physically active person. You know I played sports. I ran and you know in high school and college, and um, and I've been a body worker for twenty years. So when we think about movement, like I'm moving all day long when I'm doing body work. Yeah. And, and that's a type of movement. Um, and I'm moving in relation and integration with another being. So that's also a type of movement. That's, I never that's considered my time as a massage therapist a movement practice, but it really, oh, really is. It's totally a movement practice, Ryan. And yeah, it and I love, I love how we've connected that, that you used to do body work too. I think it's yeah. just amazing stuff. Um, and so movement has been in my life that way. And um, you know, I've always run or some, some kind of swim or something, yoga, had some kind of movement practice. And lately, though, in the last couple of years, I really love um, a practice of moving to music, hmm. but from a very, not so not like going out club dancing or anything, though that can be awesome too, but moving to music from a, like more of a meditative stance. And that doesn't mean it has to be quiet, slow music. Indeed, it can it can mimic all the emotions and the different waves that we go through as human beings. And if we allow our bodies to just respond to that music in the way that they want to respond. So instead of like being top down, I mentioned that earlier, like my logical brain is telling my body what to do, which is often where we move from. Now I'm letting my body kind of move to the music and kind of working more bottom up. And um, I love this practice. I call it the cheapest therapy around. I go to, there's different ones. I go to an organized one called Five Rhythms. There's also, I think, Conscious Dance and Ecstatic Dance are similar. Or you can do it in your own house. Just put on different types of music. Um, So, but to me, what happens there, Ryan, is it integrates things that are stored in our bodies because histories, traumas, injuries, those are all stored in our body. And we might go to all the best talk therapy in the world, but if we're not processing at a body level, we're only going to get so far. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I love that the therapy world is embracing these more somatic approaches because they are a huge piece of, of processing and processing trauma and integrating experience. Yeah. Part of my therapy experience was EMDR. Yeah. Which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to to process some uh, traumatic memories and to be clear, um, I would define my trauma compared to other people's trauma as very light trauma. Yeah, <laughs> it was a purely emotional experience mm -hmm. that was uh, temporaneous, i.e., was in a short period of time, uh, yeah. and I caught it early and acted on it early, so that mm -hmm. it would inform less of my life. Um, yeah. And part of EMDR is literally eye movement you know looking at a, a mm -hmm. light bar it, it, and or there's um these little these things that you hold in your hands then they buzz and you 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 move with them or and then there's different kind of postures and ways that you you know might put your hands around your head or on your chest and is so for me that was very critically important because i got to honor and integrate the sensations of my body and um let them inform me. So I'm a very heart-centered person. So some mm. of my emotional experience um, in, that, in that moment with that, that triggering moment of trauma was that I had been very vulnerable mm. and that vulnerability had not been honored. And so that snapped me into this depression after, it's not like it was just that one moment. Of course, there was a, a parade of moments before it. It was yeah. just the critical moment that caused the twig to snap. Sure. So for me, getting in touch with my with my literal chest, because that was in, that would just happen to be analogous to my experience. The the vulnerability, heart centered, chest, those all happened to coincide. And so a lot of that therapy practice for me was being aware of the sensations in my chest, and that helped inform me how I was doing with processing that feeling. Even literally just talking about it right now, I can feel pressure in the center of my chest. It's significantly reduced compared to before I had therapy, of course, and that was six years ago. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Six years ago was actually, I think when I wrapped, five years ago was when I wrapped my therapy, I want to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah. So it sounds like you were able to use a more somatic-based um, processing with your therapist. And, and I think movement practices do that too. And I, and I wanted to also note that, you know, different movement practices for me feel more or less valuable at different times, depending on where I am. Yeah. Um, I think if we're, if I'm moving into a state of activation, like actually this morning, Ryan, <laughs> huh. I, I had a conversation as kind of a follow-up to the one I mentioned earlier. And, um, and I recognized, you know, from years of, of, training my mind and body to recognize these states, I recognized how activated I was becoming. And I actually was in a position where I could go do physical exercise and I rode my bike and I went for a run. And it was just so helpful to be able to let those chemicals that have been released because these are activation chemicals. They're designed to help us move if we go back to our model of how our brains are wired. And so for me to be able to direct that energy because it wasn't, yeah. a, fight or, it wasn't a fight or flight scenario, it was more of a scenario of the mind. Um, so for me to be able to direct that and to move those chemicals through my system and not let them reside there in this highly emotional charged place was so valuable. So different movement practices are so useful at different times. Weightlifting can be really useful. You know, yes. having resistance against something, deep pressure, massage, deep pressure, other types of deep pressure, hugging. We know that say, cuddling. 
we know hugging and cuddling, these yeah. contact things are so powerful in our systems. They release this cascade of feel-good hormones, our, our oxytocin and our bonding. So, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's not movement practice necessarily, but it's, it's related to regulating our systems, which is, I think, what we've been talking about. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. And touch is critical to that, whether it's, you know, platonic touch, romantic touch, sexual touch, all of those things yeah. impact our chemistry um, in potentially positive or negative ways, depending yeah. on the context and nature of it. Sure. And so, um, you know, when people talk about significant touches each day, there really is a brain development component of significant touches. And it can be a high five. It can be a fist bump. It can be a hug. It can be whatever. Um, but yeah. there's, but our bodies need some type of touch stimulation and mm -hmm. we are social animals. And so if that touch can be interactive and social, all, all the better, you know, it's like yeah. I can touch this table and be conscious of that. <laughs> that can literally help me that there, there was a day when I, there was a day in the depth of my depression when I just had an intuition to put my hand on the wall and stare at my hand. And I didn't mm. know what value I was going to gain from that, but I just decided to trust it. And I literally just put my hand on the wall <laughs> and just stared at my hand. Yeah. And after about 30 seconds, I felt a calm. And I honestly cannot tell you why. I suspect that there's a combination of things from the bringing of my awareness to the, the sensation in my hand, mm -hmm. me bringing multiple senses to the same moment. There's all sorts of possibilities when you're kind of in a sea of apathy or a sea of gray or black or wherever yeah. I happened to be at that time because I don't remember exactly which day it was. Yeah. Um, but that was critical. So I think that, yeah. again, that, that is a movement, that is a physical practice that, that yeah. is valuable to me. That was a movement for, and I think the things that you named were probably really at play there in that challenging moment, Ryan. The the shifting your attention, the the touch and proprioceptive input of the pressure of your hand against the wall, and they just allowed you to shift your focus of your brain. And that's also what we're talking about here: is how do we shift and direct the attention of our brain? Yeah, um, so absolutely. Sh shifting it from sympathetic to parasympathetic, you know, alarm response to relaxation response. Shifting yes, alarm. Shifting, I talk about you know, turning off the alarm all the time. Yeah, and and we want that alarm to be there. We just don't want to be run by it. <laughs> yes, it's like we said. Um, yeah, but but the movement practices are so vital, and and I think they help us. They for me, they help me connect into my body. That it's not just like like my teacher had so so you know, humorously said, it's not like my body is not just designed to carry my brain around and be doing what I call selfing in like an endless loop of like me and my and this and that, right? And so it's like stepping out of that and zooming our perspective, our lens out from just our brain and the self place to like, oh, I am a whole being. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, I have a body. Oh, yeah. Like many of us forget that a lot. <laughs> I, I really do believe so. You know, yeah. just, to, just to me reminding myself when I start slouching to sit up, that, that is sure. a movement practice. Sure, it is yeah. a movement. And I love that you're talking about that. That's what I call micro-movement practice. And when I talk to people who have to sit in cubicles or sit at a desk all day or they're driving long distances and they can't do the same kind of movement practices that we might ideally do, then we start talking about micro-movement practices. Yeah. And those can be incredibly useful as well, depending on your circumstances. Well, and again, I think you say, go meet yourself where you are. Yeah. Um, you know, my history it, with movement is that I, I grew up dancing at three years old. I started tap dancing. And then yeah. after six years of that, I stopped and I did some music for a little while and tried to learn to play guitar and then went back to dance. And 
ran the gamut, you know, jazz, hip hop, ballet, more tap, you know, modern, whatever else I did. I did a lot. And then massage therapy, I mentioned, which I hadn't really considered before. I did martial arts all growing up. I did karate and taekwondo and judo, jujitsu and and capoeira and krav maga as an adult. And so I am informed by large movements. And there have been times in the last year when I felt that sympathetic nervous system kick in, the alarm went on. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell is this? And now I need to decide what I want to do. And sometimes I'd have an urge to do as many push-ups as my body could do and have Mm -hmm. that feeling of effort and exhaustion potentially. Um, And then sometimes I decided that wasn't the experience I wanted. I chose to do my breathing exercise instead and turn off the alarm that way because I didn't want to potentially ramp myself up. That wasn't the interest I had in that moment. Um, So I made a different choice. So all of these things, again, the journaling, the breathing, the movement, these are tools that applied regularly are, are universally helpful, um, Mm -hmm. but can also be a choice of a tool in the moment. Yeah. You know, I mean, five minutes of exercise, I think, was the study. And again, I read this in the Willpower Instinct. Five minutes of any activity is helpful. Literally walking for five minutes is as good for your brain as 10 minutes of walking or 15 minutes of really heavy activity just for certain base level things. Literally just do anything. Just move your body consciously. Take a walk and see what that feels like. Feel your feet as they hit the ground and roll against the ground in your shoe. Mm -hmm. You know, um, feel the movement of your arms and your body. If you want to become aware of your body, go get rolfed. I mean, that's (laughs) excruciating pain, but you will become keenly aware of your body. And then after a rolfing session, take a 20-minute walk and you'll be like, you'll feel alien in your own body. Yeah. Uh, until yeah. you've done, you know, 10 sessions, then suddenly you're like, oh, this is what my, this is my body now. <laughs> it's a yeah. totally different experience. Well, I mean, raw thing I think is, is sort of an extreme version, but I think, you know, body work or massage sessions in general, um, Ryan, and, and it, it'd be remiss, I think you having been a massage therapist and me being one um, to not talk about the impact of what that work does. And one of the main things I see it doing is connecting people to their bodies and helping drop people into their parasympathetic nervous system. Now, of course, we can work on injuries or pain or challenges, and those things bring people in the door, of course. But in a bigger perspective, in the bigger view, what I see is happening is body awareness, body connection, body-mind connection. Yes. And, and where I live in the D.C. area, everybody needs more connection to their parasympathetic relaxation response. <laughs> so, so we yeah. stay busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think it, I, we would be remiss not to honor some of the other um, purely both biological and social psychological components of movement, i.e. we are designed to move. Yeah. So not moving is not honoring part of our, our animal and therefore will cause other types of problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so with, again, whether it's heart rate variability or um, literally just toning and flexibility, when you, are able, when you have more flexibility in your body and you just move around in your day, your body just literally feels better. You know, when you have a capacity, when you work on your core muscles, your body just feels better because now your back feels better. You have less pain. You're able to concentrate. You have more resources in your body available to you, whether it's oxygenation, Mm -hmm. um, clarity of thought, 
coming from the oxygenation and the heart rate variability. You know, there, there's a cascading effect to having a healthy body and a critical component of having a healthy body is movement. Yeah. And, and, and if you are doing things that are healthy for your body, another by quote byproduct, another effect is increased confidence. Yeah. Because when your body is strong, it is triggering your brain that you are safe and secure. And when you feel safe and secure, you can do a lot more than when you're feeling insecure or unsafe because now you're using those resources to try to keep yourself in a position to be okay. And if you are confident, then now all those resources go to kick an ass right? Like doing amazing things, constantly worrying about the oncoming threat. I love, I can't remember who it was, but it's in multiple martial arts. People have said the same thing, whether it's Krav Maga or Wing Chun or whatever else. Being able to fight proficiently means that you never worry about fighting again. And so in Mm -hmm. fact, it decreases the probability that you will be in a fight because now all of those automatic behaviors that you would have had previously you just don't you don't have anymore you don't have the same need to prove yourself you don't have the, you don't have these needs it's like yeah. a walking through san francisco one time i got a weird vibe and i just thought prepare for violence mm-hmm. and it's like that seems like such an extreme thing to say but actually it calmed me down because once i just accepted my circumstance <laughs> I actually, my heart rate variability improved. I didn't have the same stress response. I was just like, oh, okay. I just keep my head on a swivel. I know what I need to do, walk confidently, and I'll be fine. And so I moved into a space of confidence and awareness, and then I just did what I needed to do. Yeah, I I love that example. And I I just want to draw clearly that, that, that parallel to, you know, we're talking about the body being prepared to take care of itself or take care of our being. And then moving that through to, our minds, when we develop these capacities of our minds to navigate challenge and navigate challenging emotions, uh, tumultuous thoughts, all the things that present in our lives, then we also have more confidence that we are, it's like I said at the beginning, one of the great benefits of these practices is increasing confidence in our capacity to be resilient and to deal with anything that comes our way. And to have that steadiness, which is just what you were talking about. So it's so beautiful how you tied that in inadvertently (laughs) or not. Um, To have that confidence, regardless of our external circumstance, that we can go steadily. Not to say we don't go into emotion, but we can come back to our our center and navigate that. So it's a pretty neat neat tie up. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And actually probably a good place to transition. But I do want to honor that there are some people who have experienced violence that when I say something like prepare for violence for them, that actually would be triggering themselves into trauma. And I want, to, I want to take the moment to acknowledge that, that as someone who has not experienced a significant amount of violence, I was smaller, I was picked on, but that is not the same yeah. um, as experiencing trauma from violence. So I want to honor that and say, you know, if I did trigger you, hey, that was not my intention. I apologize. Yeah. And, and that, for me, it really was a mental practice when I say something like that. It was a mental practice of just increasing my awareness and my, and my presence of mind and my physical, marshalling my physical resources that allowed me to be calm. Um, out of context, that could sound like prepare for violence is a good thing because you get all ramped up and that is not what I mean. I do not mean putting yourself in unsafe situations mm-hmm. or continuing to feel insecure mm-hmm. or continuing to relive trauma. Please understand that. Um, yeah. 
Um, on that note, on that note, and I know we're wrapping up here on Ryan, but on that note, just because of, like you said, it's October 2018, um, there's a lot of um, old traumas being triggered for people um, right now. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm feeling that very strongly in our area. And I think, you know, just based on social media, also other areas. And um, so I'd just like to name that sometimes these practices of going inward, of closing our eyes or meditating, or even going to a meditation class where you're asked to sit among strangers with your eyes closed feels very unsafe. And so one of the things we're really looking at in our communities is how do we create safer spaces for people who have been traumatized by violence, aggression, rape, things like this. So I just want to name that that's really on the forefront of, of what we're looking at right now. And just to acknowledge that those practices can feel very scary for some people. I see them as a resource and a great refuge. And I understand that that doesn't feel that way for everybody. And so yeah. that's just something I want to name for all of your listeners. Yeah, no, thank you. Because I, none of this is meant to be torturous. I, I once had a friend who was upset and um, I offered to hug her and she said, no, your hugs hurt. Yeah. And that was, I think my interpretation of that is I was safe it caused her to lower her walls and she wasn't in a position to feel her pain. She needed to be a little more numb. She needed to be able to not have her full experience in that moment. And so I I honored and I acknowledged that and just kind of stood four feet away from her and gave her physical space and was just present with her. And in fact, she didn't even want to talk. So we stopped talking and I just literally stood there with her for a time until she was ready and we talked about something else. Yeah. So none of this should be used as a cudgel. None of this should be used as a should, right? Here we are. I just said, none of this should be used, right? This, no is, shoulds. this is the should again, right? I, this, the value of this is when you are, they are available to you when you're ready to use them. Um, this when, time, when and if, turn. because <laughs> I love what the Buddha talks about, this concept of verified faith, Ryan, which is mm. don't take my word for anything. Don't take his word. Don't take her. Don't take anyone's word. Let those ideas inform you, expand your thinking, and then try them for yourself and see what works in your system. And I think that's a really important piece to maintain, especially at this time. Yeah. Do not, what works for you. Exactly. There's yeah. so many tools. And again, meet yourself where you are, find something that works for you. It might literally just be doing the 7-Eleven breathing exercise or any type yeah. of slow inhale, yeah. slow exhale. It could be literally doing 20 push-ups a day or not 20 push-ups, sorry, 20 sit-ups a day or five <laughs> push-ups a day or like literally any small thing just to move your body. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be huge. Literally anything is yeah. valuable. Just, yeah, just incrementally small, manageable, set attainable goals. I always say that, set attainable yes. goals. And then you can build yeah. on them, but set yes. attainable goals. Yeah, check yeah. out episodes five through eight. I talk about scalable goals when I'm talking to me. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, great. I think that's really critical. We, we get into this all or nothing mode that isn't really helpful. So yeah, in the interest of time yes. and to wrap up, is there any, are there any takeaways from this conversation that really stood out to you that you think, hey, if people want to listen to this last five minutes of the episode, this would be a great thing for them to know? Yeah, yeah. I think just recognizing that there are these tools of what we talked about, uh, mindfulness and breathing and journaling and exercise. And if we can create, and it's like we just said, it doesn't have to be those, or it could be your own version of those. And if you can just take some of those and create your own systems that support you and help you come into your center and navigate 
things so that we're not in such a state of overwhelm. I know so many of us are dealing with that. Those are just so valuable. So think about creating something that works for you and, and start trying it. Attainable goals, start with five minutes. Start with you know just building on that after that. Just get that down and then don't worry about the next step until you're ready and you'll know when you're ready. So just yeah. start, where you, start where you are. And we've been saying that a couple of times here and I totally think it's, it's a useful thing. Start where you are, start trying the practices, see what works for you and then go from there. There's so many resources out there uh, to get us, to help us get traction in these things. Uh, it's just amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Start from where you are. Um, choose something that you might, that you find interesting or fun, something that's yeah. engaging to you. Fun yes. is a great way to be engaged. Curious is a great way to be engaged. You know, choose one of these three areas potentially. I mean, I, I highly recommend you start with one of these three things. Start yeah. with simple breathing, if not formal meditation, start with some journaling, start with some simple movement, choose one, because they all branch into each other. If you want more, if you want further, <laughs> try something simple um, that you can sustain for at least a few weeks, I would say three at a minimum, six is ideal, so that you can have the full experience of it. And you can add a little additional touches if you want, you can play with it. Yeah, but just just do little things, do it daily or five times a week or whatever, like, just put yourself in a position to, to enjoy it and experiment. And because yeah. all of it's valuable, all of it's valuable. Nothing needs to be more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. Really, like I said, 30 second meditations I do regularly, but five minutes, I know I feel about a greater effect from five minutes. If I get a solid five minutes of anything in conscious physical activity, journaling, meditating, breathing, all those do fantastic. So start yes. small, yeah. something that's engaging to you. The other thing I'll say that's really helpful, and this is something I share with my students is I give them a tracking sheet because some of us, you know, are, when we're using our left linear brain, we like to check things off and it's very satisfying. And also then we have a visual. So what are the ways we can keep these things that are important to us, but then get covered over by all the millions of other demands on ourselves is having a tracking sheet. And we have just like a little circle for each day and you can kind of check off. Did I do this gratitude practice, this savoring practice? Did I do a daily meditation? And you can just see a visual. And if it's in front of you, it reminds you to do it as well, even in oh. the midst in the midst of the overwhelm of all our information overload. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that because I used to track in my daily planner every uh -huh. day that I meditated or did, or worked out, which again was typically in the morning, even before the time that's available on my particular planner. So I just write it first thing. Yeah. And I stopped doing that. And I stopped writing it in whenever I did it in the day. And that would be really valuable for me to do again, because then I can yeah. honor and recognize that I've been doing it and get that added psychological benefit of celebrating myself for doing it and not yeah. the benefit of doing it, but actually celebrating myself for doing it, which is really great and really powerful. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, because it is definitely quite a bit longer. We're like, we're going to for an hour and a half, and now it's been hours of hanging out. It's way too long for, for people to listen to, I'm sure. Oh, oh my goodness. There's a reason I break it into episodes. I know, it's, it's I know. It's three it's, episodes. It's all felt so, um, so valuable, though, Ryan. So thank you for creating this platform and, and this format for us to talk about these things. Absolutely. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for showing up. I, I knew that we would have a very valuable conversation. I was really looking forward to today. So thank you for taking the extra time and hanging out with yeah. me and working through tech issues and, yes. and getting to just hang out and have a real conversation. So thank you for that. It's great. It's great. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, how can people find you, Selena? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, they can find me at my website, which is www.selena, S-E-L-E-N-A, reams.com, R-E-A-M-E-S, selenareams.com. Awesome. Like the show? Consider subscribing through my Patreon at patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. You'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards. Want more? You can also find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lifecoachingwithryan where I play some games and I continue the conversation. I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.